Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 73. You've got Chris and Brian, and today we're going to do some more um, discussion and whatnot from Force on Force lessons, um, this time particularly involving home defense and active shooter type situations. Yeah, so we ran through a number of scenarios, um, again with the tribe, um, in, in this time, like Brian said, implemented uh, a little more of that that someplace you live um, type scenario and, and throwing a long gun into the conversation if that's what you keep by your bed or whatever. Um, you know, so doing force on force stuff, you know, there's not a whole lot of gear required, but if, you know, if you utilize a long gun for home defense and maybe finding a, a uh, simulation of your long yeah. gun or an analog of your long gun for force on force might not be a bad opportunity to chase down some of those tools as well. Um, it can get a little spendy. Uh, we are fortunate enough that the, one of our tribe who has this toy um, actually had to set up like a real freaking gun, uh, optic and all that fun stuff on it. So um, that can get a little spendy, but you know, train how you fight, fight how you train, whatever. So um, the, the first scenario that we did was, was essentially um, somebody who's cracked out going through cabinets, closets, drawers, whatever in your house, um, basically probably looking for something they can sell for their next rock of whatever or hit of whatever. Um, this scenario, uh, I was I was the homeowner. Uh, one of our guys was was the was the bad guy. Um, basically, in, in my world, there are certain parts of my house that I know if, if everybody's where they're supposed to be when something goes bump in the night, um, I, I don't care what you take outside of my zone, but if you step into my zone, I'm going to burn you to the ground. Um, as this particular scenario happened to work out, I, you know, that the individual was not in what I considered my zone. Um, I, I do understand that by law in Ohio, if somebody forces their way into your domicile, you pretty much own that person. Um, so, but there's a reality check that you have to morally live with that as well. Um, so my, my take on that response was actually that, you know, this guy's not, is not coming into my zone just yet. So I, I gave him an opportunity, told him to get out of the house, to leave, to get out, to leave, to get out. Um, and, and finally confront, physically confronted him, like visually confronted him, not physically, pardon me. Um, and, and the role player played the part of somebody who was stoned or who was, who was out of it. Um, and so it was forced to address the person and have them get prone down on the floor, you know, get their hands spread out as far as they can, get their, you know, their legs crossed at the ankles, etc., um, and not to move. Uh, individual was armed, had a gun shoved in their waistband. It was obvious, but they never made a reach for it, so I chose not to shoot them. Um, scenario played out pretty well, I think, you know, because nobody, nobody got shot and their shots were fired. Um, you know, bad guy was, was eventually apprehended by law enforcement when they got there, etc. Um, but interesting scenario and a lot of guys, you know, there, there was, I don't think there was a whole lot of response that, you know, you could have just burned him down. He's in your house. Um, you know, I don't think anybody really was there because it was a relatively controlled scenario. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, so, you know, I mean, just basically what, you know, we've got, I think, a, a, a continuum of aggressiveness within our, our group. And, and I'm probably one of the more laid back dudes in the group, I think, around some of that stuff. And so um, this is one of the probably more laid back responses to things. Um, I want to share a, a tactic, technique, procedure and tip Um when communicating with people under duress, especially in training environments where you're not actually under duress, um, try to speak in a normal voice. 
Um, went through a training opportunity probably about two years ago now uh, with some local law enforcement agents. We're doing shoot house work. Um, and, and both officers, one female, one male, um, both really were bellowing commands and were bellowing all communications. They were trying to be as powerful and as loud as they could. Um, and, and quite honestly, it led to a situation where the, the male um, sounded like a, a big dog barking. It was almost impossible to understand what he was saying. Um, and the female, um, who I don't think, I know was new to law enforcement and, and maybe a little newer to shoot house work kind of stuff, um, her voice had gone up five, six, seven octaves. And my guess is that there were porpoises nearby just cringing, going, what is that sound? Um, you know, try, And then a third officer who was a very, very experienced uh, SWAT officer with the local PD, um, a couple different times addressed an unknown in a, almost a whisper, you know, in a, hey, I need you to show me your hands, not, wah, 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 or, beep, 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 you know, and uh, I don't know what freaking octane, anyway, um, octave, anyway, so, so understand that if you can, you know, maintain more coherent communication with somebody, things might go better. And there might be a point where you choose to ratchet it up a notch and yell at somebody to get their attention or whatever. Um, but, you know, understand that sometimes just talking to someone in a normal voice will be heard way better um, than yelling at them. Ask a kindergarten teacher. Um, uh, early elementary ed teachers tend to, to get real quiet when they want the kids to be quiet and pay attention. And it is pretty interesting how well that can work in certain environments. So just a tool in your tool belt. Yeah, just a, another way to, to verbally de-escalate the situation. Yeah, be calm. Be calm. Bring calm to the situation. Yeah, the second run-through with the kind of the same you know, person in your house um, very late at night involved a, non, a friendly, non-shooting um, participant. Um, say that was sort of in the middle of everything. Yeah, in this case, I played the, the buxom red-headed wife of one of our tribe, um, those of you wanting to stab your eyes out right now, again, um, second podcast in a row, I apologize, but I think I did a good job, and damn it, I look good and people like me. So. Uh, in this case, <laughs> our, our armed homeowner, who is armed with a rifle, uh, did an excellent job of you know, coming around the corner, kind of seeing what was going on, uh, immediately getting in front of his wife. Thank um, you. <laughs> and then... Um, the unknown um, meth head actually went to the gun and before he even got to the gun, um, got burned down. So someone who's able to flip the switch when needed um, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and from a, from a you know, reaction standpoint, we, we had a discussion after the fact, you know, could, were you in a position where maybe you're armed, you, you know that you're in a safe place, your spouse is, is, is sounding off, hey, there's somebody in the house, there's somebody in the house, but they're not in the same room as you, so you don't have visual or physical contact with the other part of your tribe that you're, that you're wanting to protect. And, and you, know, you kind of wonder, well, you know, could you call that person to you, or could you do this, or could you do that? And the reality check is you don't know the state of mind of the person that is the bad guy in your home or the person that's broken into your home, and you drawing attention to yourself might actually draw attention to somebody else inadvertently, different things of that nature. And you don't know how much time you have to react until that time's up. And so the, uh, you know, our, our role player, the good guy, the, the, the homeowner, um, like Brian said, got into the situation, posted up between the threat and his loved one. 
Um, and and the bad guy didn't really give him an opportunity, I don't think, in, in any significant fashion um, to negotiate. Uh, it's just one of those things where it was it was it was time, and he flipped the switch and did did some work, and it worked out pretty well. Um, except for the bad guy role player who was not real happy because it was hot out and we were wearing t-shirts and he got lit up. But um, I, I thought personally thought that scenario was was handled with a lot of speed. Yeah. A lot of alacrity. Um, you know, jumped in, got it done, and, and that was that. So it's pretty cool. Good scenario. Uh, from there, we sort of went into the, uh, we'll call it active shooter situations um, at the mall. Yes. Uh, so the, the setup was there were um, a few pillars called support columns. We're going to um, pretend we're in the food whatnot. court. Yeah, we're going to pretend that we were in a food court and, and there were large chunks of cover interspersed somewhat randomly. Yeah, um, three known friendlies uh, or associated friendlies, one other kind of random um, person who wasn't a hostile, and then a hostile that was out looking for his a girlfriend's new boyfriend. Yes. Uh, and this played out a couple different ways. Uh, one time, uh, the, the hostile came in uh, in an aggressive fashion with a long gun. Uh, he got burned down pretty much immediately. Yeah, um, and, and, and the point that was brought up by the bad guy, um, the gentleman playing the bad guy as a role player had his attention split at least two ways initially between, um, you know, a, a basically he had four non-hostiles to deal with, and he needed to figure out which one was his, his girlfriend's new guy. Um, but he had the, we were split into two groups, a group of one and a group of three, and his attention was split between that. And then when he showed up with a long gun, um, the group of three split and went to cover in different directions. So, you know, when we talk about the good guy having to deal with um, friendlies, unknowns, and, and bad guys, um, the, the bad guy can have his attention split too. And that's something that you can absolutely use to your advantage. Um, in this particular situation, um, the nearest uh, f uh, unknown or friendly went to cover the next nearest we you know went to cover and he was actually shot by somebody he didn't even realize was shooting at him until it was done until it was too late um and so that you know the reaction to that was was pretty quick and pretty swift it was interesting not understanding what it's like to be the bad guy because none of us are so well most of us aren't sociopaths um it was interesting to hear somebody being as a role player as the bad guy voice crap i didn't even know where i was coming from and i couldn't keep an eye on everybody all at once um, the bad guy's probably going to have his attention split too, and depending on how good he is, how squared away he is, um, how motivated he is, whether it's a, a political motivation, whether it's a personal motivation, or whether it's a religious motivation, um, you know, there, there's there's likely it's it's a chaotic event one way or the other when there are multiple role players in both directions, and and so that is something that you can exploit, and I think we got lucky in that scenario that he just wasn't able to get his attention to you in anywhere near enough time. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, that may play out in the real world. I mean, the, the good guy can get lucky, too. Yeah, and I will say, you know, having basically rehearsed this exact same scenario probably 50 times over the last year, just doing normal. Yeah. You know, you're standing up. Okay, go to cover. Um, draw your pistol and engage the target at 10 yards um, type reps. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing felt like doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it was very – and I think the, the, only, the only thing that I saw in that scenario that, that made me – that, that made me take pause. The, well, and actually, this drives into the next scenario. So I'll, I'll, I'll save that. Mental note there. 
Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. The, the next time around, uh, different different role player being the hostile uh, again, looking for his girlfriend's new boyfriend, uh, armed but in a concealed manner, um, came in, you know, asking for this dude named Joe, and we all just kind of were like, uh, we don't know Joe. Maybe that's Joe, like over there, fifty yards away. Yeah. And then he left, uh, which actually <laughs> what, what, did, what did we learn from this scenario? Actually frustrated the guy who came up with the scenario because he's like, well, why weren't you hostile? And why didn't you bring the gun out? And our our hostile role player was like, well, if I bring the gun out too soon and I don't know who Joe is and I can't shoot Joe, well, then I have mission failure because I haven't shot Joe. That's right. And, and, so, and it was a very rational bad guy in this case um, because, you know, like you said, it, his mission was to get Joe – uh, doing anything else could draw attention, unwanted attention to him, um, and and not let him get Joe. Uh, has anybody read the Terminal List recently? Uh, because in the Terminal List, uh, the main character uh, Reese basically spends a whole lot of time not killing people that don't need killed, uh, because he because he doesn't want him to get in the way of the rest of his revenge list. Um, you know, so we had a an, an overly rational and concrete role player. So what do you learn from this um, as you're setting up scenarios? Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about, and in, in, in the last few days of scenarios training that we've done, we really didn't, I, I didn't, we didn't have anything written out. Um, you know, and I don't know that writing this out would have changed anything or not, yeah. but clearly pointing out to the role player, what are the goals and objectives of, of the scenario that you're presenting? If it's, if you're having a role player, especially play the bad guy or the aggressor or the unknown, um, that the good guy has to react to. Um, making absolutely certain that that role player understands what the objective is. And in this case, the objective was to push somebody just far enough to get a reaction, but to do it in such a manner you could get close to them and not let them engage you at distance. So um, the role player did that. He just didn't pursue it any further than the very concrete instruction, you're there to get Joe, Um, because Joe wasn't there. So, uh, you know, so there's a little bit of making sure that your role players understand that. Um, it, you know, when we, when we set up a lot of the role play type things or scenarios and force on force kind of stuff, it, it really is critically important that there are some teachable moments that are programmed into what you're trying to teach people to do um, along the lines of, um, you know, there will be a firearm present. You know, you're going to control the scene. You are going to point your gun at people because you maybe it's law enforcement training or something like that, or you're in your own home and you can point guns at, at people you don't know in your own home. Um, but when that person, you know, you're going to give them commands to show, show me your hands, get on the floor, blah, 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 blah. Don't touch the gun, um, that type of thing, whatever that may be. Um, I'm a big believer in giving positive commands. Show me your hands, get your hands where I can see them, get your hands in the air. Um, cause I think that a lot of times when you give somebody the command, it might remind them, oh yeah, there's a gun next to me and they might try and use it. But either way, if you're issuing commands, then you're trying to control the situation. Um, and a lot of force on force kind of scenarios, people get kind of tied up and they can't put their brain in the right gear to get things done. Well, that's when I want the role player to reach for the gun and force you to engage. And then we can look back and say, well, the role player engaged you because you didn't give him clear commands or anything to do. You didn't take charge of the situation. Um, so communicating to the role player, not, not to get too far off the topic of what we did, but just as a side note from a training perspective, make sure that you're programming and that everybody in the game, except for the person who needs to be educated, um, you know, understands what's required of them, but what the goal and the objective is, what the commander's intent is of that particular scenario.
Yeah, and having written, you know, writing out if you're doing this, uh, a little flowchart <clears throat> that gives your yeah. role players if this happens, do this matrix yeah. mm -hmm. so that they know what they're supposed to do and when they're supposed to do it. Yeah, um, simplifies things a lot, especially. Yeah. If you're doing this with a larger group and they're going to be repeating this multiple times. It gives folks an opportunity to know exactly, to, for everybody to hear the same message or see the same message. Um, if you've ever gone through like a, if you've ever shot competitively and had stage requirements read to you differently by an RO, um, it can change the outcome of a match if the RO doesn't read the stage directives exactly the same way to each group of folks. This is no different. In a training environment, you want to present everybody with the scenario you want them presented with, um, and you want your role players to be disciplined and not go off track and, and play a game versus the game. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's really important that your role players are out to run the scenario and they're not out to win. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody needs to understand that this is an opportunity to teach. Um, I, I've been in a couple of force on force scenarios that that either due to egos or people wanting to play. Um, devolved into things that were less than helpful, um, less than less than good training opportunities. Um, you know, if, if you if you fail a scenario that was laid out properly, that you could have not failed if you'd done things correctly, then you learn from it. If you fail every scenario because somebody at the last minute goofs off with an airsoft gun because hey, it's just an airsoft gun, um, you need to find a different training partner and not have that person be part of that group because they're they're killing the effectiveness of that opportunity. So. Um, I, I, along that, that line, um, interesting conversation. So going into the next scenario was the same scenario played out again. Um, but this time a little more aggressively, um, the, curiously enough, this being the fourth or fifth scenario we did that night where generally everybody was watching, um, in this particular scenario, when the bad guy showed up and drew a gun, um, there were a couple people who took a few seconds to figure out which way to go to cover. Um, and it was kind of interesting to watch after having done scenarios three times in a row, all of us being, you know, in theory, gun guys, etc. It almost took a second to realize, hey, there's a gun in our area. Huh, I should probably find something hard to get behind. Um, and, and, and that was kind of an interesting thing to see play out this late in that number of evolutions where there were guns coming out and people were getting stung by little airsoft BBs. Um, so kind of an interesting thing. Um, another side note that actually was kind of set aside from this conversation, but was an oh crap moment for everyone involved, save one. Uh, we are running these scenarios uh, at a training facility, and the bay adjacent to us was in use with live firearms. The bay that we were in was not. No, no live weapons, no knives, no anything allowed in that bay. Uh, we checked everybody out, made sure, you know, each person checked a partner to make sure that everybody was unarmed, etc. Um, no knives, no guns. I think flashlights were allowed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we, we, you know, we go to great pains to do that. Um, especially, you know, obviously doing force-on-force, non-lethal stuff. In the middle of this scenario, the guy in the bay next to us cranked off a rifle round. Several rifle rounds. Several, several rifle rounds. Right as the scenario was heating up and the bad guy drew, and, and the guy looking for Joe drew a gun because somebody was going to be Joe. He was going to get somebody this time around per altered instructions. Um, the, so the bad guy's engaging an unknown. Three theoretical good guys are heading to cover and real gunshots ring out. Um, 
a couple of us nearly had to change our underwear because our first thought is, oh, crap, somebody screwed up. Um, and then very quickly realized, oh, it's the dude in the bay next to us. The one good guy role player who was armed in this scenario had auditory exclusion in an airsoft scenario. So it was juiced up enough and focused enough on the threat and the goings-on between the bad guy and an unknown that he did not hear a rifle fire less than 50 yards away. Yeah, honestly, less than probably 50 feet away. Yeah, I mean, on the other side of a wall. But but it was really interesting that, that you know, in training, you know, we can get juiced up enough and see what we want to see. And I and I'm I'm I you know I'm not going to say that oh it's the same as a gunfight I'm not, I'm never going to say that in a million years but there's a reality check that if you're focusing on what you're doing you're taking things seriously um, it's really good for you to know that that's something that you might be prone to um, you know th- there were like I said there were a couple of us who heard it and and for just a moment we're, we're in had an oh shit moment because we thought oh my god somebody made a huge mistake here and then realized okay it's cool we're good um, but to have somebody have no recollection of hearing gunshots from a rifle, you know, probably within 50 feet or maybe a little further, um, immediately on the other side of a wall, um, in an open air environment was kind of a startling revelation. It's like, Oh wow, look at that. That happens. Yeah. So, you know, interesting things happen in training that, that do carry over to the real world, even if it's not an, an exact one-to-one analog from a risk perspective, if you're in focusing and do what you're supposed to be doing, you do learn things no matter what. Yeah, one of the other takeaways is we had been using the same pistol for the good guy um, in multiple evolutions. And in this case, the good guy um, was down to the last few uh, BBs in his magazine. Yeah. And ran dry. Um, so one of the takeaways from that was you know, the, the little LCP2 or Glock 43 um, in an active shooter environment may not be the right gun to be carrying that day. Yeah, and, and most of this stuff took place, you know, at at distances I would say would not be unreasonable for an open situation like a mall or, or an outdoor venue or whatever. Um, you know, most of this was definitely within 20 yards, a lot of it within probably 10 to 12 yards. Um, you know, those kinds of distances, I think everybody in our group was able to achieve pretty good hits pretty quickly, even with airsoft guns, yeah. um, you know, not being super accurate, etc. Um, but there was the reality check that, you know, um, you know, carry, carry the most effective tool you can carry. Um, but, but boy, recognize that if you need to shoot at somebody at distance in a, in a, in that kind of environment, you're probably going to want as much grip, as much sight radius and as much trigger as you can get on the gun. Um, you're going to want every advantage you can get. So, uh, yeah. So again, you know, another, another really interesting evening of training with some really good takeaways that I don't think were intended by, they were not objectives or goals of the scenarios from a learning perspective, but ended up being very beneficial. And again, it's one of those things where I tell people all the time, I enjoy going hiking in crappy weather because I see things that you're normally not going to see. I enjoy going out on the range and training in crappy weather because you're going to test your gear, whether that gear for the day happens to be your shoes or your clothing, your rain gear, your hat, um, or your, you know, your, your eye pro, how, how water resistant or hydrophobic is the coating on the lens of your eye, eye pro. Well, doing training in these environments, things pop up that if you don't go train, you won't ever see. So it's really cool to be out there and do something different and then have some secondary effects pop up that are like, hey, learning learning occurred yeah. beyond what was intended. So really cool stuff. Um, I want to say thanks. I'm, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't like throwing names out, but the gentleman who, who took charge of, of these last three nights, I want to say thanks again 
uh, for some really good scenarios. I'd also like to say thanks to some of the other players who brought along some other ideas to incorporate, um, as well as some other gear to incorporate, like the rifle. So, uh, guys, really appreciate you showing up um, in a big way to make this training really effective. Um, I'll throw a gentle jab out to the, some of the guys in the group who couldn't make it. Some of it's because of work, I get it. Some of you it's because you're lazy um, or slackers. That's fine, too. But uh, you missed some really, really good training not being there. So. Yeah, and one other, you know, takeaway from, especially the active shooter stuff, um, these things went from normal to kinetic in probably under three seconds. Generally, it's pretty um, quick. So having, you know, it's really important to predetermine, you know, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, um, given, you know, somebody aggressively brings out a long gun in a place where there shouldn't be long guns. Yeah. Um, or, you know, somebody goes from a, you know, all of a sudden you have a gun in your face um, or pointed at, you know, one of your buddies who didn't do anything hostile to agitate the situation that you know of. Yeah, it just was a there you are, it happened kind of thing. Um, one last thing to throw out there, guys. In the active shooter type scenarios and probably more importantly in the home defense type scenarios, um, you know, those of you with significant others, those of you with children, both small and large, um, you know, it, it's not a fun conversation to, to say things to your wife, like as you walk into the mall, like, you know, Hey, if shit pops up, what's hard stuff you can hop behind? Um, what's hard stuff that you can hop behind that's actually cover versus concealment. Um, you know, that easel sign is not going to stop a bullet. Um, but the concrete planter probably will. Um, you know, so bear in mind some of those things and try and have those conversations gently as, as much as your spouse is into it or as much as you can do it with your children as far as not freaking them out. Um, going to the range and pointing out, you know, hey, you know, bullets will go through things like cardboard and wood and stuff like that. Um, but you notice there's a big dirt backstop around there. Um, it's there to stop the bullet. You know, what are the things in your world stop bullets? And, and that's one of those conversations. It's like, when do you teach a child to shoot? At what age? Well, at the age that they prove to you that they're responsible enough to handle something that can hurt somebody pretty badly or kill somebody pretty quickly. Um, same kind of conversation. You know, when do you start having conversations with your children about what's cover, what's concealment? Um, if the world, you know, if, if there's if there's somebody hurting other people nearby, what do you do? Do you climb up on daddy's back and scream your head off? Or, you know, or do you go with mommy and get as far away from daddy as possible? Um, you know, and different things like that. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what the right answer to those things are because it's going to depend on whether or not your spouse is part of the team or whether or not your spouse is part of the detail that you're protecting. Um, cause they're very different things and you need to know that going in. Um, but those conversations with your kids in a gentle fashion, um, can happen at a relatively early age because you want your kids to know how to react appropriately. And that may be, if something bad happens and mommy and mommy or daddy said, you know, you need to go, then you need to go. So uh, that was something that came out of one of the scenarios. So, yeah. So yeah. just another little nugget to think about. Um, that may be a subject for a podcast down the road, um, that, that inoculation um, for kids and AYOs, not on the actual protective aspect of the detail, but the protectees. So, yeah. 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 Very important to have that conversation. Um, and to realize that in that situation, um, you are fully in charge and it's not negotiable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's an interesting thing to communicate. Um, you know, in certain households, that's a given that when dad says to do something, do something, um, in, in other more modern households, uh, a little less. So, um, this has got to be one of those things that, that it, it can't be negotiable when it's real. 
And so maybe there's you need to figure out a way to communicate when it's real very, very quickly because it can't be a debate or a negotiation. So, um, you know, so depending on how you how you deal with your children from a disciplinary standpoint or, or from a communication standpoint, that may be something that requires some modification of your current behavior. So, yeah. yeah same thing with um, comms with the significant other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's, you know, there's, if, if you're, if your wife is not used to hearing you go, you know, you need to get away from me and go someplace else, or just has that in that understanding already communicated that if things get loud or get weird or get bad, you probably either want to be directly behind me or nowhere near me, one or the other. Um, however, that may work out. And, and, and then not near me may mean the most immediate closest piece of cover that will stop bullets, or it may mean finding an exit to the building right now and just getting out of Dodge entirely. So, but those are all things that have to be communicated beforehand. That's not a plan you will develop under duress in the middle of that fight. So just things to think about guys, some things to throw out there that aren't necessarily pleasant, but, uh, they're really, really hard to develop in the middle of the situation. Um, they're really hard to develop in the middle of training. Um, you know, needs to be pre-communicated. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, point out, uh, Pat McNamara talks about a bunch of these kind of topics in his book, Sentinel. Yes. Um, taking for charge, taking charge of your personal protective detail. Um, I believe the ebook's about three dollars. Um, it is a highly informative read. Um, you should get it. You should get multiple copies of it and pass them out amongst your tribe. Yeah, it's it's honestly it's kind of a textbook. Honestly, I mean it's it's not that hard to read, but it's got that good of information laid out in such a fashion. I mean, it is really a a how to um, that's really well done but it is not a master's thesis at the same time. Um, it's something that you, you know, you can read and maybe even pass along to the spouse or somebody else to read too and, and not have a lot of problems there. So very good. Yeah. Um, on that note, uh, follow us on social media. We are at Cap City Outfitters on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can visit us on the web, um, capcityoutfitters.com. We lay out both our suppressor and our transfer policies. Uh, so lots of informative information uh, for things that customers engage in on a regular basis on the website. Uh, we do an email newsletter once a week. Uh, the website probably will prompt you um, to join that, or you can email us at info at capcityoutfitters.com. We will happily add you to the newsletter. Uh, and then lastly, please come see us in the store. Uh, we are in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. Uh, in front of Aldi's, right next to Louis Fusion Grill, who does delicious takeout. Amen. And um, dining, uh, eating at this point, too. Uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Also, be aware that our COVID hours are limited to 8, uh, pardon me, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday. Again, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday. Um, and, until things, until you know, we have a reason to change them or, or are able to change them due to staffing issues. So, thanks for your understanding there. Appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. Um, on that note, uh, thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.